every time someone would say, well, you cook Southern food. And it almost felt like a little bit of a deed, a little bit of like, you know, well, that's what you cook food from the house. You know, that's how people and even other cooks would consider it to be like, oh, that's food you cook at home. I remember even on Top Chef, someone saying, I can cook that food. I can cook home food with my eyes closed. And it's like, actually, you can't, but okay. And so one day I just got to a point where the one thing I wanted and I craved was the foods I grew up eating that were not being represented well in the ways that I grew up. And I got so tired of seeing people only talk about dishes when they talked about the South. Forget about all the abundance of beautiful produce we have of all of the, you know, people in our family who were hunters and fishermen and like all of that. And that's what the South was about. Behind every amazing flavor is an amazing human who has perfected their craft. Welcome to Flavors Unknown, a series of inspirational conversations with renowned culinary leaders. Discover how their cultural identity shapes their creative process with your host, Emmanuel. Well, I cannot believe this is the last episode of the year 2021. Welcome to episode 86 of the Flavors Unknown podcast. And what an episode to end the year with, because my guest today is Chef Tiffany Derry from Roots Southern Table in Dallas, Texas. I am your host, Emmanuel LaRoche. I have been in the food industry for more than 20 years, both in Europe and in the US. And every other week, I have genuine conversation with chefs, pastry chefs and mixologists from around the US to talk about their path to success, their challenges, and understand how their cultural background influences their creative process. If you are a first-time listener, thank you for tuning in. Please follow us on your favorite podcast platform, as you do not want to miss any upcoming episode of the Flavors Unknown podcast. If you are a long-time listener, I would love to hear from you. Please send me an email at contact at flavorsunknown.com. So let's talk a little bit about Chef Tiffany Derry. She talks about her restaurant, Roots Southern Table, and her famous chicken sandwich, the misconception people have about Southern cuisine, her participation to TV shows, and she's going to talk about an upcoming TV show on PBS. And obviously, we are going to talk about her source of inspiration. Hi, Chef. Welcome to Flavors Unknown. Hello. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you and and thank you very much for being able to uh, find, you know, like a, a small hour of a time to to do the recording with with us. <laughs> <laughs> because you are busy, correct? Yes, right now there are are lots of things happening, but you know what? Uh you and I have been wanting to get together for a while and uh, I said, "You know what? We're going to make it happen today." We, yeah, we I, by all means we're going to make it happen. Thank you. Thank you so much. People really got to know you because of your appearance of Top Chef in season seven. So for you, it's like ancient story. You know, it was in, I think, started in DC and you were voted at a time like the fan favorite. So how did you come, you know, to participate to the show? Yeah. So I remember I was working in a restaurant where I was executive chef. 
And the maitre d' came to me and said, chef, you got a phone call. And I was like, well, just tell them I'll call them back. You know, like, what do you mean? And she goes, no, you have a phone call. It's top chef. And they're calling you. I was like, girl, yeah, right. Top chef ain't calling me. (laughs) And she's like, no, please take the call. And I thought someone was joking. And so I answered the phone and I was like, hello, you know, this is Tiffany. And they're like, hi, this is Magical Elves with Top Chef. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. And I had to fix my voice. And and that was sort of the start. I actually didn't even want to do it. I told them I didn't want to. I didn't want to live with people. I didn't want drama. All those things. And they said, hey, you can win $125,000. I'm like, I have never in my life seen that much. So I. I'm like, okay, well, tell me what, what I need to do. And so well, that I, was I, I will leave these people for that amount of money. <laughs> <laughs> Very so cool. So, so how was the experience? You know, most days are really great. One of the things I loved about Top Chef is just meeting so many incredible people who are still, mm-hmm. you know, my friends to this day. And it also pushed you in a way that there's there's nothing that can truly compare to the amount of recipe and content that you have to come up with under those circumstances, Mm -hmm. right? And for me, I I was laughing because I was talking to Tom and Patma recently. And, you know, we were talking about how it was almost 11 years ago or so, you know, since I've done Top Chef, maybe even 12. I don't know at this moment. I think it was 2010, no? Yes, it was. It was. It was 2010. You're right. And they said, well, Tiff, you were young. You were, that's considered one of the younger people to do the show. Mm -hmm. And so I just grew a lot and I learned to become a much more confident cook because I was still trying to figure out a lot of things back then. And so, you know, it was a, it's a way to truly grow quickly if you choose to. Is it like a lot edited? What we are seeing, like the people are seeing, you know, on TV, so... For me, I I had a great experience. I didn't have anything edited weird. What I said, I said, and what I said, I meant. Uh, You know, there are a lot of people who say things and then later on, they're probably not feeling like they should have said that or they don't want people to see. And and I think sometimes in the heat of the moment, you can say something that later you realize millions are watching and you're like, "Ah, I didn't mean it like that. I didn't want to say it. So You know, I think you just have to be careful. But for the most part, I was very happy with my experience. It's Mm -hmm. kind of pushed to where I am right now because of that first show. Yeah. And do you remember that time? That's what was your favorite challenge, you know, on the show? No, you know, I remember a lot. (laughs) It feels like it was yesterday. The terror. No, I remember the very first episode, uh, season seven. It was D.C. and it ended up being one of the hottest days of the year. And we're filming on top of a roof. And it was one of those sort of like relay challenges where you do onions and then you do a chicken and then you, you know, peel potatoes or whatever. And I remember making it right into the end uh, to the person cook. And I just remember that adrenaline rush flowing so crazy. And that was the start. That was like the moment where all of us was trying to size up who everybody was and what they could do. Oh, yeah. So I guess you really enjoyed it because since then you have done several appearances on shows and then you're just finished like even like a, a day of uh, shooting, you know, today with I think MasterChef, right? Yeah. You know, I didn't really set out to do TV. I do enjoy, I enjoy a lot of things. <laughs> Um, I enjoy people, most importantly. And so doing TV has just allowed me to connect with tons of people. 
And I enjoy what I do. So that there's that. But, you know, Top Chef kind of gave me my start. I ended up doing season eight all stars. And that was just as terrifying. Yeah, um, <laughs> but, you know, that was good. So I think competition is something that I've always liked before mm-hmm. doing food competition. I was also an athlete. So I would compete. I played volleyball, basketball, track, golf. Okay. And so something I've always loved, that adrenaline. So I feel yeah. like Top Chef just kind of took me from that other side to this side of it. You you look at it as well as a a platform that you are able to share your passion for Southern food. Yeah, when I was young, I truly didn't appreciate my, my Southern roots as much as I do right now. I remember growing up, and people would look at the color of my skin and go, oh, so you cook soul food or, oh, you cook Southern food. And it almost made me feel like I didn't want to. And I, I remember also even like, culinary school and things like that. It just, you never felt like Southern food was revered as much as others. The French, uh, the Italians, I mean, even Asian food had a place. And I, and I just never saw the spotlight that I felt like Southern should be. So eventually I ended up, you know, deciding to just make way and try to get my food out there and show people what I love and also take my Southern roots with also all that I've learned throughout my life and techniques Mm -hmm. and all of those flavors as well. From your point of view, what do you think uh, like the biggest misconception that people have about uh, Southern cuisine? I think you have to understand what Southern is and Southern is not a specific dish. Southern Mm -hmm. is not just fried chicken. Southern is not just mac and cheese. Those are dishes. Um, that you have that are in the South. But let's just be honest, you have those dishes also now all over the world. What is Southern? Southern to me is about the land. It's about the water and it's about the people who make up the South. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is when you really shine a light on Southern cuisine, you can't help but acknowledge all of the immigrants and all of the people who settled in the South or were even brought to the South, whether that be through enslaved, whether if, you know, I'm from Louisiana, my family. So a lot of times, even when you look at New Orleans and Louisiana, you, you have to acknowledge that there were Germans, there were Spaniards, there were indigenous people, there were the Africans, the French, right? Mm-hmm. So sure. there's so and, and many like a yes. Vietnamese community now. And the Vietnamese, yes. There is just so many different people who make up the South and created what we consider to be Southern cuisine. Southern cuisine is not anywhere else in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, they didn't bring that from somewhere. It was the melding of all of these different people coming together and cooking what was in their area. Yeah. What makes your fried chicken sandwich at Roots Chicken Shack, you know, so unique? Tons of like... <laughs> fried chicken around. It is, but we also are considered to have the best fried chicken sandwich in Dallas. And we also won the award of best fried chicken in, in DFW. And part of that truly is the spices that make up. There is no substitute for quality. So you, you have to start with a great chicken. I say if your chicken sandwich costs you $3.99, I guarantee it's not a great chicken. It might have some flavor, but it's definitely not of quality. And so we start with a quality bird, which means basically how it was raised and that it was never frozen. All of those good things, but we season it up with what I call my Creole seasoning, which is a spice mixture we use. It has a lot of flavor, you know, from paprika and smoky paprika to garlic powder to celery seed, which is one of my favorite things. And then from there, we put a sweet potato bun. 
Okay. And so we use a sweet potato bun as a more of a natural sugar. It's not a sweet in terms of sugar, mm-hmm. um, but it does have a touch, but it, you wouldn't consider it like a sweet if you closed your eyes and ate. It also gives it a nice fluffiness. So we do a sweet potato bun. We do a little bit of a kimchi mayo oh, wow. um, on the sandwich. And then we do fresh mustard greens and kale and romaine lettuce. That is our house mixture. So anything that has lettuce has fresh mustard greens, romaine, and a little bit of kale. And so that, so you have basically a sweet potato bun, you have this lettuce mixture, you have the spicy kimchi mayo, you have pepper jack cheese that gets melted on this fried chicken. And then you have some tomatoes and pickles and and onions, all the things that I love about a sandwich. When you bite into this bad boy, you know, you should have a little bit of, a little bit of that coming down your (laughs) sleeve right there. I mean, that's the indication of a great sandwich. Exactly. (laughs) Originally, our original menu was much smaller than it is now, and we still only have 11 items. And when I say 11, I'm including the tea and the Kool-Aid and the banana pudding. It is a very small, but, you know, the menu was formatted to be impactful with the things that we do extremely well. We used to just do sandwiches and chicken wings. Our guests started asking for chicken strips or meat off the bone, as they say. And so I fought it as long as I could. And they said, you know, (laughs) we want chicken strips. So I ended up buying chicken strips, doing some delicious chicken strips. And then I ended up having to add ranch dressing because that was the two things that everyone wanted the most. So, um, all right, fine. But, you know, we made a ranch and we made it with dill and tarragon and lots of mustard. There's so much flavor. And, you know, that ended up being one of the most popular things we do now. And then it was like recently that you you opened... uh, Roots Southern Table, correct? Yeah, in, we opened in, uh, Roots Southern Table yeah. in July. What was your like personal evolution that you did you go through from like the Roots Chicken Shack to the Roots uh, Southern Table? So I never wanted Shack first. It was always supposed to be Roots Southern Table. So I've wanted to do this concept for now seven years, and wow. <laughs> and I was looking for the space. I, at one point, I didn't look, feel like the timing was right. We found another space, but then I ended up getting out of it because I just it didn't feel right as well. And so Shack came along, and it was the right time. It was you know when you're looking at opening a new business, you also need to look at, you know, the structure of the business and the financials of it. And Shaq made sense, smaller structure, less money down, you know, all of those things. And so we ended up flipping. So doing Shaq uh, and then we built Southern Table. And of course, pandemic happened. So that delayed us more. But I wanted Southern Table to be almost like an homage to, you know, the way I grew up, the things Mm -hmm. that I love the most about, you know, my family's farm and picking greens and being able to transition that into something so delicious, right? You know, and so even at the restaurant now, we do a braised green dish, right? And we make Mm -hmm. a beautiful pot liquor with smoked ham, And we take baby turnips and we grill them after they've been pickled. And then we serve it with hot water cornbread and a little bit of pepper vinegar sauce on the side. And so really what Roots allowed me to do was create memories that I remember of my mom cooking greens, my grandmother having always a little pepper vinegar sauce underneath the cabinet that never went bad. All she (laughs) does is add a little more vinegar on the top. And those were things that I loved and I wanted to showcase, but I also wanted to show sort of who I am um, as a person now. So when you look at dishes like our peck and duck, right, it's using everything. We bring in whole duck, 
we cut off the duck breast and get that skin mm-hmm. really crispy. Then we take the leg and thighs and confit those. And then we take the, the gizzards and livers and heart and we make dirty rice with the confit. And then we serve, you know, put that all back together and take the bones and make a sauce. And it's dishes like that that show sort of the evolution of, of Southern cooking. Okay. So you, you mentioned before that, uh, you know, you, you didn't want to get into your Southern roots and somehow, you know, having maybe this like the cliche African-American woman, you know, mm-hmm. then cooking soul food. So wh- why do you think it was the case that you, you didn't want to, to get into it? Well, I didn't feel like, I didn't feel like Southern was at the level of what I wanted. And, and the crazy part was, it was truthfully just because of people telling me it wasn't right or me not seeing it present in the list that were considered best of the world. Right. Every time someone would say, well, you cook Southern food or do you cook Southern food? And it almost felt like a little bit of a deed, a little bit of like, you know, well, that's what you cook food from the house. You know, that's how people and even other cooks would consider it to be like, oh, that's food you cook at home. I remember even on Top Chef, someone saying, I can cook that food. I can cook home food with my eyes closed. And it's like, actually, you can't, but okay. And so one day I just got to a point where the one thing I wanted and I craved was the foods I grew up eating that were not being represented well. Either they weren't being represented at all or it wasn't being represented well in the ways that I grew up. And I got so tired of seeing people only talk about dishes when they talked about the South. Forget about all the abundance of beautiful produce we have of all of the, you know, people in our family who were hunters and fishermen and like all of that. And that's what the South was about. Or what made you change your mind and find the confidence, you know, then to focus on, you know, on your roots then? It almost happened overnight. Yeah, no, it almost happened overnight. You know, one day I woke up and I just kept thinking about it. I just kept thinking about wanting to put Southern on the map in a way that I had not seen Mm -hmm. um, in my area. And I knew I had started to see small amounts happening, you know, a couple in New York. I'd seen something in DC. I had seen something kind of all around, but I hadn't, I hadn't seen it in Texas as much. And so I wanted, I wanted to be able to show others to embrace sort of where they came from, no matter who it was, no matter what type of food you grew up eating, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and that you can make space for you and for your food and your cuisine. When I look at your menu, you know, online, because I haven't had the chance to, um, you know, to come to your restaurant yet, I've seen interesting similarities in the approach with, you know, what you're doing at the, the, the Southern Table of what, you know, Chef Sean Brock did, you know, like uh, when he, like, opened like Husk, you know, and in Charleston, mm-hmm. for instance. So there were some interesting, I would say, similarities in in the approach. I don't know. I would, would you agree or? You know, I mean, I, I feel like Sean Brock is amazing and I love what he does. And I was listening to something about something he's getting ready to open. And I'll never forget. I was talking to my guy and I said, who does he sound like? And he was like, Tiffany, that's you. Like, that's exactly how you yeah. sound when you're talking about Southern yeah, cuisine. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so, so that's interesting just, what he has been doing. You know, in in Charleston and Savannah, and of course Nashville now, and yeah. then here you go. You are doing it in Dallas. Yes, we all have to represent. Now let's talk about some stats that, for me, are unbelievable. That it's still the case, you know, today. So you are African American woman. So you are combining, you know, like very two strong obstacle, you know, in the culinary world, you know, in the U.S. because. 
There's about, I think, 25% of female chef. You know, I'm not talking about owning restaurants. I'm talking, you know, female chef. And then there's less than 18% of chefs that are African-American. Mm. So it seems that you have to work twice as hard, you know, just to keep up and, you know, and three times as hard, like to really earn, you know, an opportunity. So do you think things are changing slightly and evolving slightly? I think, you know, when I came into this business, I didn't know not one woman. I didn't know any chef in a restaurant and I darn sure didn't know any black woman chef in a restaurant. And I didn't know anyone who owned a restaurant. So I think representation. How was it it then when you studied like culinary school and so on and you don't have those reference? For me, it doesn't stop anything. And I think that's where we had to get to a point of like, just because it's not there, just because we don't have the representation, um, we still have to move forward. Someone has to represent. And so it kind of fueled me in a way where I wanted to, I wanted to be, I wanted it to be me. I wanted to do it. You know, from the moment I enrolled in culinary school, I knew I wanted to have a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Everybody say don't have it. And I was like, I hear you. I still wanted it though. It never changed, no matter how crazy and rocky it got. And I've always wanted it. I mean, from the age of 16, when I worked at the breakfast restaurant and it was a franchise, I said, I want to own three of these. <laughs> so, you know, this is this is something I've always wanted to do. And, you know, all of the the tests and trials that come along with it is just what comes along with it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so for me, I don't look at the stats as much. I know that it's there. I've lived it. I, yeah, I understand yeah. oh, that no, I, I yeah, have yeah. to work hard. No. Yeah. I understand that no one's giving me anything. And I had to also learn how to maneuver in a very different way. And what I mean by that is that just walking into a bank of those days of, of you know, that wasn't possible of just having the right hookup and knowing the right person to get a loan or to be an angel investor. Those aren't, those aren't the path that I had to take. I had to be smarter. I had to figure it out. Like how do I start? And so by opening something smaller that helped create that opportunity to come in, uh, you know, without having to put so much down, grow the business naturally and be able to go from there. And do you have the possibility today to, you know, mentor other younger, I would say, African-American women chef? Sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I am a Le Dame Descoffier as well. Mm-hmm. And so I do mentorship with within them and through them. And I also sit on the James Beard Foundation for their mentorship program as well. I see so many now, you know, yeah. even culinary okay. school, I see a lot of women, Black women who are now wanting to be chefs in and who tell me constantly that, you know, they saw me doing it and have seen me, you know, for 10 years now on TV doing. And it's pretty incredible and and crazy to think of, you know, somebody, I'm somebody's inspiration, right? Like I'm out here just trying to, (laughs) trying to live and trying to, you know, get the restaurants and keep us busy and provide. And so now we're, you know, at a point where I guess I'm getting older. And and so people are calling for advice. So you're talking about, um, you know, being on TV and we haven't finished this. So can you tell us a little bit what is like the new TV show that uh, 
you were part of, which has been, I think, filmed now, but it's for next year. It's like the Great American Recipe on PBS. Yes. So it's called The Great American Recipe and it's on PBS and it is a competition show, but it is truly highlighting the diverse amount of culinary that we have here in America. And I think when we look at a lot of shows, we see a few of everything, right? You see a few Blacks, you see a few Asians, you see a few, you know, Hispanics, you see a whole bunch of different people. But this show was about celebrating the diversity mm-hmm. and truly allowing people to cook the foods of, you know, whether it's of their family, of their loved ones, their special recipes that they have. Um, and then so many times we were blown away by like the authentic flavors of, of dishes. And so it's going to be a great show for everyone to check out. Well, there's an example that you can mention of a, maybe a dish that blew your mind. There was a lady and she was from Mexico and she was talking about, she lives in California. She was talking about when she came first off, like everyone has a story. So you start there, right? And when she came to the U.S., And she had just got her citizenship and she was talking about how a part of her felt like she was leaving, you know, or like kind of turning her back on Mexico. And then, you know, and now that she was getting this citizenship. And so it was just such a beautiful story. But that night she went home and she made tortillas with her child and she was talking about how she was showing him all the technique. And by the end of the night, he made an amazing, you know, tortilla and about passing on that generation. And she made, you know, some beautiful taco or something with the tortilla for us. But the story of okay. kind of like the why, right? And wanting to carry on traditions and being able to teach at a young age, you know, the traditions that were passed down from her, I think is okay. pretty special. Things like that always light my fire. So what's the, the, is the show about, I would say, the celebration, that you said, diversity, but almost connecting the history of food in the U.S. related to this, almost the history of immigration? Mm-hmm. Or is it about, like, as well, some originality aspect of, you know, the, the U.S.? I actually would think it's more about original recipes of of people less about any kind of fusion or anything like that but just celebration of different cultures that are here in america now not necessarily from america but just here did you know like chef graham uh, elliott and uh, leah cohen before because they were with you correct correct yes i knew graham and leah beforehand just from you know top chef and other shows and yeah yeah, and I used to do Top Chef Junior and Graham came and we did Top Chef Junior together. So, yeah. So, how long was the the whole filming? How long does it take? to Ooh, Three weeks. Three weeks. In three weeks, you packed the season. We did, yeah. But, you know, anytime you're doing a first season show, there are a lot of moving pieces. And so, it requires patience <laughs> in that first season. But I tell you what, uh, the stories were spectacular and the food was good and it was a really good time okay and then today you were just came from master chef so it's with obviously gordon ramsay correct correct yeah so filming master chef is he the same behind the camera that he's in front of the camera i'm sure you had that question all the time but you know I, i just think that gordon is one of the you know nicest people on this earth who truly 
lets you shine and gives good advice. But he's also just really funny, right? You know what I mean? And so uh, he's a family guy. And I, I always respect, have always respected that about him before I even really knew him. And so it's fun to shoot with him and Aaron and Joey, you know, so that was nice. Yeah. Going back to your, you know, the concepts of a Southern table that you have, could you maybe describe like maybe a dish where in fact this is based on you know, maybe a memory that you have, you know, from a younger age and then the cooking from your mom and then maybe the, the elevation of that dish that you have done with all the techniques, you know, that you have learned obviously being, being a chef? Yeah. One of my favorite dishes is um, greens. I love greens. I mean, I love mm-hmm. a lot of things, but greens, I love, I love any kind. And we would pick greens from the garden and we would sit around the table and we would all have to peel them right from my mom to my grandma and any other cousins and anybody that they could pull because my grandmother had 11 children. So it was a oh, lot wow. of us and a lot of grandchildren. So whenever you cook, you cook a lot. So all the help you can get. And we would sit around and I remember they would take, you know, a pot of water and they would cook, you know, whether it be smoked pork or salt pork, any kind of ham hock. It wasn't until more recent years, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago that I started seeing them use more of like, you know, the smoked turkey and thing like that. But I didn't see that a lot then. And they would take that water with the smoked meat and let that Mm -hmm. cook down. Then they would put in the greens and let that cook. And then she would add in the turnips. They let that cook and it would have a lot of seasoning and flavor on it. And then she would slice up onions, yellow or white onions on mm-hmm. top. And we would, you know, put a little bit of her vinegar sauce that she would keep right underneath that cabinet with the peppers and garlic and vinegar. And it'd be spicy and tangy. And I loved, loved greens growing up. So what we did at the restaurant now is we do greens as well. And mm-hmm. so the menu is divided into three areas. You have your down home roots and then you have your modern Southern roots, and then mm-hmm. you have supper. And so in the down home roots, we have our greens and the greens are braised like my grandmother and my mom did before me. And then I'd slice some yellow onions on top raw. And then we take turnips that are baby turnips and we pickle them and then we char grill them. And then we put that on top of the, the bowl. And then on the side of it, we take hot water cornbread, which is something that I love because of the crunchy texture of it, which is cornmeal. I mean, you can put sugar, you can do a little bit of flour like we do. But back in the day, it would really just be a little cornmeal salt, maybe a piece of lard or some kind of butter, and then just water, hot water to get the flavor. You know, when a lot of commodity stuff was expensive, you it was something that you can fry chunks of and, and it would be fulfilling. So what we do is we take that hot water cornbread and we serve that with our greens. And the idea is that you take that hot water cornbread and dip it in the pot liquor and you let that soak up because it's really dense. Let that soak up and enjoy it together. Uh, And every table, you know, that we serve it on, we serve a little bitty mini pepper vinegar sauce. And so you get your little squeeze bottle of pepper vinegar sauce that everybody tries to take home. Like these (laughs) are not for your purse. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That's too funny. Doesn't surprise me. Oh, that's funny. All my hot sauces they want to take. All my pepper vinegar. Exactly. I hope you are selling it at uh, the restaurant. We're working on it. Um, We started selling a couple of things, but we're getting ready to gear up for some more. When I get home, I'll I'll be I'll be making quite a few pantry. Hot sauce is going to be a hit. Yes, definitely. 
And when you are dipping this, do you have as well like the sauce dripping on your? You know, I mean, no? if you do it right, because I thought that could be like the right way. You just said it before. <laughs> <laughs> if you do it right, you know, you might get it all in your mouth on that. Oh, okay, very good. <laughs> very good. Beside your mom, then, and your grandma, what are your sources of inspiration? You know, for me, it was also to just like people that I read about. You know, I loved reading when I was young. And one of um, the folks that I remember very much was Patrick Clark. And he was the only, was the only one that I ever met. Not met, I'm sorry. I never actually met him, but only saw in culinary school. And so uh -huh. I remember the cookbook and I remember all of the things. And that was sort of a gateway into what others were doing. And just seeing him do food, uh, very fine food. Um, I thought that was just special. And so I would read and, you know, it's one of those mentoring from afar and didn't even know I was getting mentored by him, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and and how do you balance, let's say, tradition and, and, and your creativity? You have to first always honor the dishes that you're doing. There is a fine line of, I feel like we're, you can lose the dishes identity. And for mm -hmm. me, that's the reason I broke the menu up. So there are things now, unfortunately, I may not ever be able to change. But, you know, in the down-home roots, almost every table orders three of them, of, every, of everything from there. And so that's been successful. But we also have the modern roots. And in the modern roots is where I play. Peach salad that just went off the menu. And it was peach salad, you know, with fresh peaches, Cooper Farm peaches, which is from our area, mm -hmm. pecans, mint. Steens vinaigrette done with Steens vinegar, not not the actual like Steens molasses. And okay. so just taking all of those flavors, a little creme fraiche, a little country ham on there. And so, though, you know, that's where we play a little bit more. I always pick like the brain of, you know, my guests and ask for a suggestion uh, for how a home cook, you know, can create maybe like for you, like a southern dish, you know, with the, the Tiffany Berry style or twist you know, on it. So. <laughs> What would you suggest us to make? You know, I am a lover of pasta <laughs> and yeah. I'm a lover of rice too. Who am I kidding? So one of the dishes that I, I love is bacon, egg and rice. And I don't know, my mom would grow up when I was growing up, my mom would make it for us. And it was sort of like leftover. So in our household, you always had rice. You had mm -hmm. rice with every meal. Again, I said with so many of us, you had to stretch the food. So there would be rice. And my friends laugh at me now because now I eat rice with everything. And so she would take the drippings from the bacon that would collect throughout the week. And she would take that bacon grease and she would fry the rice in it and she would add an egg and then she'd add peppers or whatever was in the fridge. But I like doing mine with any kind of green, sweet bell peppers, red, yellow, onion, garlic. You need that fresh garlic in there. Yeah. Take, once that bacon gets crisp, you set that aside and use the fat to cook all of that. And then you add your leftover rice and let that really cook and then add a little bit of Creole seasoning in there. And then right when it's done, add your green onion or if you have some parsley um, and then add the bacon back in. And Ooh. let me tell you what. Mm -hmm. And bacon, egg, and rice is delicious. Yeah, and uh, that even even Oprah loved it. I made it. At, I made okay. it at Oprah's house, and she loved that bacon, egg, and rice. <laughs> okay, so you know what? Now you that mentioned this, I am very, very honored that you decided to come, <laughs> you know, to my show after that. You need a special dish to, dish to Oprah. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> she had me pack her up some for the house. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Beep, beep, beep. 
Okay, so let let's switch to uh, the second part of the of the show at the end, the rapid fire questions. If you're okay with that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what is like the food smell that reminds you of your childhood? Gumbo. The smell of gumbo cooking. It's like the uh, roux once it cooks down with the chicken and a sausage and a filet goes in. Love the smell of gumbo. Okay. So meat gumbo, not, not seafood gumbo. It's actually both. So in yeah. our household, we put chicken, shrimp, crab, and sausage. Oh. Hmm. Every single time. Very cool. What is the most important aspect of being a chef for you? You know, having a foundation. You need to have a foundation. You need to, like, really learn how to cook, learn the technique mm -hmm. before you decide to even be a chef, right? And run a kitchen or open up anything. Like the foundation is the most important thing we can do. So you and I are going on a tasting tour in Dallas. What are like the five spots that you will take me to beside obviously your restaurant? We're going to go to a restaurant called Nailing, and it is a Laos restaurant. And wow. it, it is... Fantastic. It is my favorite restaurant in Dallas. Okay. And we're going to have, oh, wait, you didn't ask me all that. Okay. So we're going to go there. We can, yeah, you can tell me what we are going to have. You know it. <laughs> we're going to have Nam Kao, which okay. is a rice dish, right? Coconut rice that gets mm -hmm. cooked crispy with sour sausage, eaten in a lettuce with tons of herbs. We're also going to have beef lob, which is my favorite that they do really well there. And then, of course, papaya salad, but with the fermented crab and sticky rice and then they have these fried little riblets that are so good um so good okay okay i'm gonna have that so yes um we're then we'll go to you know what i've been loving meridian which is by uh junior burgess nilton so he is a uh, brazilian and he just opened almost like a fine dining brazilian restaurant it's beautiful it's delicious it has a story i've enjoyed great meals there okay i feel like we have to do some kind of steakhouse so there is nothing more traditional than a nick and sam steakhouse experience okay. right like it is all about that extra service that layer of it and we're going to eat like king and queens just for <laughs> one night <laughs> i love that then Look, and then we're going to go to my favorite Thai restaurant. Okay. And it's called Zensei. And it's in like the suburbs. It's it's okay. a family owned. Yeah. And it's three sisters. And they cook every single day. And the day that they are off, they close the restaurant. And uh, so we'll go see sisters. I'll call them my sisters too. How many is that? Three or four? Four, four right? Yeah. Yeah. Last one. Last one. I got one more place. I'm going to take you. It could be sweets as well, or it could be a bar, or it could be, you know, anything that's... Mm. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm missing a meal then. You know? I, like, I like the... Mm. <laughs> not yet. I'm not yet at the bar, Emmanuel. Let me We're going to have the bar at whatever restaurant we go to, Manuel. It's going to be great. Mm, you know what? You know where I would take you. Uh, we would go, and we would have hot pot. I love oh, yes. hot pot. Yes. And so there is a really great... Um, Little Sheep is what it's called, and it has fantastic hot pot. But if you play your cards right, I might take you to my Korean mom house, and she would cook dinner for us. Six spot. Ooh, I love that. Yes. One got to go. One got to go. <laughs> Very cool. What's your favorite guilty pleasure food? Fried chicken. 
I don't know. Fried chicken. Yeah, fried chicken. I would go with fried chicken. I don't eat a lot of fried food. And so I make sure it might be once a month if I decide to eat something fried. Okay. Fried chicken. So, but how do you eat your fried chicken? I'm not talking about your the recipe from your, your restaurants, but... If I am going to, I'm sorry, if I'm going to have fried chicken, I'm going to go to my own restaurant to eat it uh, just because I like certain things. <laughs> and if I'm going to waste my calories for sure, like, and blow my, my, my day, I want to make sure it was worth it. So I'm going to have my fried chicken wings. I'm going to ask somebody to split that sandwich with me. We're going to get duck fat fries. And then for good measure, I'm going to have the Caesar salad with the duck fat fried breadcrumbs. So I'm just saying. Talking about duck fat frying in that fat. I read somewhere that you experienced that during one of uh, a trip you had in France. Is correct? I see it. Yes. That was my first time having duck fat fries was, yeah. um, I was 18 years old in France. Yes. Was it, was it in Paris or was it in the Southwest of France where? The no, I want to say it was, it was South. I don't remember which city, but we were outside of, of Paris at the time. Okay. Okay. Because then one day, then the reverse, I have to take you to the th southwest of France, which is really like south, south, not near Paris. It's really mm -hmm. towards the south. And this is the heart of cooking with geese, like and duck fat with like scalloped potatoes and, you know, and and the meats and everything. So that's, that's fantastic. So I did a little bit of some tracing one day and I was talking to my mom and we were talking about um, the holiday and she, my grandmother doesn't cook anymore, but you know, she used to cook a whole lot. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about one of my favorite dishes that she made, which was she would take a whole duck and she would take just raw, whole duck, mm -hmm. and put it on top of cornbread dressing, like the raw mixture of dressing, and she would cover it. And she would let that bake in the oven together. And then at the mm -hmm. last minute, because all the juices and all the yep. fat from yep. the duck would go into the cornbread dressing. Mm -hmm. So apparently I have been eating duck my whole life that way. And I didn't realize how much I loved duck yeah, fat until my was, mom brought it that back. That was your test bud like that recognized that when you were in France, that said like, that's your mom were doing it. Yes, I like that's this flavor, good. mom. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that's very good. So I'll give you the, the, the name of the, the town that you should go to if you're in France. It's called Sarla. It's S-A-R-L-A-T. And of course, okay. we put a T at the end and we don't pronounce it. You know, that's the traditional silence French letters. You know, we love that. Okay. <laughs> so anyhow, what are like the three cookbooks that inspired you the most in your career? Becoming a Chef. Yeah. The Flavor Bible was, was something that, yeah. that, just, that just helped me so mm -hmm. much. And then I'd have to say, I really enjoy Gemini Code. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then I, but Lee, I just, I mean, there's so many, yes, those I'm gonna okay. stick with that. I'm okay. gonna stick by there that you. decision because then, you know, I always want to add an extra. Yes. That's the restaurants. Like your sixth one. <laughs> <laughs> Less is more. I just told somebody that today. <laughs> <laughs> What's your biggest pet peeves in the kitchen? An, or, an unorganized cook. Like I can't, I can't take an un, unorganized cook and I cannot take a cook once I call out your ticket and what you're you're making and you don't acknowledge that you heard me. Uh, heard yes. Misha. I remember I, I remember that first things that I think when I watched the first time Hell's Kitchen with Gordon Renzi, you know, when you had the two teams like, competing, that mm -hmm. was his main 
Kate Peeves that where people were not quoting the order. Yes. Say something. <laughs> Do you hear me? This is yes. yes. This is no. This is nothing. So in your home, what type of sauces and condiments, spices that you have that, you know, beside like the classics of like ketchup and mustards and mayo and, and so on. So anything. Yeah. Anything no, I love fish sauce. sauce. I love fish ah. sauce. I love kepa mayo as well. And then I always have quite a fast selection of vinegars, but I also love mustard. So you'll always see at least four different kinds of mustard in, in the house for sure. Like oh. love mustard. Very cool. Chef, thank you so much uh, for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for being a guest on the show. Thank you. And I can't wait to see you soon. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for listening today. Since the recording of this episode, I had the opportunity to travel to Dallas, meet with Chef Tiffany Derry, and taste her food. And I have to tell you, her fried chicken, the French fries in duck fat, her mother gambo, and her southern greens are amazing. And we had a great time with her and her entire team. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend, a colleague, or a family member. It is easy. You can do it directly from your phone or from the website flavorsunknown.com. This episode is the last one of the year 2021. So I wish you all happy holidays with your loved ones. The first episode of the year 2022 will be with food critic Craig Laban from the Philadelphia Inquirer. I see you in two weeks. And until then, remember that people who love to eat are always the best people. Thanks for listening to Flavors Unknown. If you've enjoyed this episode, give us a follow on Instagram at Flavors Unknown and visit us at flavorsunknown.com. Don't forget to leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts.